And uh, when people are on the campaign trail, they actually they sleep in all kinds of weird places, and they hardly ever get a decent meal, and uh, not much rest, and it's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's really an ordeal. It's a very grueling ordeal, and yet they're motivated. They, in, in this case, usually by political ambition. But it, it seems to me we have to have some kind of conviction about what we're trying to achieve, that, that the benefits of spiritual life, some sense that this is my rational self-interest, that in order to be true to myself, in order to be reasonable, in order not to be foolish, I have to pursue these values, these goals. I want to be in higher consciousness. I want to know God. And then ultimately, that's my real life. I mean, if we, let's say, for example, a, a normal person, if they, as my parents and grandparents used to say, God forbid, if someone, an injury or an illness that seriously uh, limited their activities, and yet it's something that could be overcome, but it took therapy or took serious, a, a, seriously, uh, a serious discipline, a treatment, I mean, a person is really determined, I'm going to be healthy again, or I'm going to walk again, or I'm going to see again, uh, would spare no effort to achieve it. I mean, imagine, you know, God forbid, if someone lost their eyesight, but there was a chance to recuperate, there was a chance to regain their sight, but only through very serious discipline and uh, very earnest dedication to a particular treatment. I know myself, I mean, I'd do anything. I would do anything to get back my sight or to get back my normal life. And so in the same way, uh, we have to avoid drifting back into the illusion that material life is sort of, you know, normal or, or, or this physical world is, quote-unquote, the real world. Or that my identity, in which I identify myself not as an eternal soul, part of God, I identify myself as the body, which in Sanskrit, of course, is ahamkara, the false ego, or dehavimana, the identification with the body. Uh, it's like, um, you know, it's, it's like a drunk at a party that wakes up the next morning with a very ugly partner. Oh my God, what did I do last night? And so, so in the same way, uh, it is, we are, you could almost say, drug. We are sort of, I mean, to be in material consciousness, identifying with the body and being driven by the impulses and desires of the body is really DUI. I mean, we're just going through life DUI and you can't really see how far away things are and you know, you're likely to crash and hurt yourself. So, the spiritual life for me uh, means that I really want to find myself there's a, there's a movie that came out, just a, a remake of Journey to the Center of the Earth, which I didn't go to see. But um, the real thing is Journey to the Center of the Heart. I mean, the real quest, the real adventure, the real journey is going within and finding ourselves, recovering ourselves, and recovering our sanity, recovering our sight, being who we really are, and recovering our lost, or, let's say, somewhat suspended or not at the present time fully understood, relationship with God, Find, getting back our real life. And I know in the, um, the Vaishnava tradition, uh, which is, of 
course, goes all the way back, really, uh, well, the ancient Sanskrit literature. And there's this notion of the Purusha, the person, capital P, of the Purushottama, the ultimate person. And we were just, um, oh, last night, right? This is uh, Saturday, must be 10th. Yeah, because I've been going different places, but <laughs> last night I was in a program uh, at the University of Florida with a, a, a large group of Indian students there. And um, I was quoting these verses, which I find very, very compelling and, and enlightening. The, the last paragraph, you could say, of chapter 15 of the Bhagavad Gita, where, uh, so I'll just give you those shlokas, because I personally find these verses thrilling, and philosophically um, the, the highest importance. So toward the end of the, let's say the last paragraph of chapter 15, Krishna says that, um, which means that, using sort of the jargon of Sankhya philosophy, that in this world there are two purushas, two kinds of living beings, two kinds of souls in this world, which Krishna describes as kshara, literally perishing, and akshara, unperishing. Because if our personal identity is based on the body, obviously it's going to perish. If I really think I'm an American or Indian or Guatemalan or whatever, you know, this gender, that age, this race, that ethnicity, or whatever, that's going to perish. And yet, if I understand myself as an eternal spiritual being, as Krishna says in the Gita, natsevam jatunatsam, never did we not exist. We've always existed. We always will exist. And so... So Krishna says there are these two kinds of beings, and he says, Kshara-sarva-bhutani, that all creatures, sarva-bhutani in general, are kshara, they're perishing, because, you know, how many enlightened people are walking around the streets of Tampa, to the best of your knowledge? So, mostly shoppers, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then Krishna says, Kuta-sta-kshara-uchate, and so th- this is a, a Sanskrit term, Kuta-sta, literally standing at the peak, kuta. And so, the one who stands at the peak, meaning the enlightened soul or the liberated soul, has uh, achieved an unperishing self-understanding, an unperishing identity. But then Krishna says, however, uttama purushas tuanya paramatmekizahita. Having said that there's the conditioned souls who are caught in the perishing identity, and he was saying the liberated souls. Then Krishna says, however, the ultimate person, the ultimate Purusha, is someone else. In other words, the ultimate person, the supreme person, is not one of the conditioned souls, not even one of the liberated souls. Very simple, explicit Sanskrit. Uttama Purushas Tuanyak Paramatma Yudhavata. And that ultimate person is declared to be the Paramatma, the supreme soul. And then Krishna says, Yoloka Triamat, each is the one who pervades these three worlds, the Arati, and maintains them. Avdhya Ishwara, the unperishing Lord. Now, uh, who is the unperishing Lord? So then Krishna says, Jasmat Kshararatitoham, because I, Sri Bhagavan, Bhagavad Gita, the right title, Krishna says, because I am beyond the perishing. 
response and Aksharada Pi Jyotama and and even beyond the, the unperishing, even beyond the liberated soul and uh, supreme. Atosmi Loki Vedicha Therefore in the world and in the Veda I am celebrated as that supreme person. So of course there are different forms of that supreme God with different names and that's always been recognized. Even in the Rig Veda, the oldest stratum of Sanskrit literature, the oldest Vedic literature which has survived to us. Um, God is addressed as Puhutam, invoked, Buddha invoked in different ways. Here's a little, just a little linguistic amusement for you, but at no extra cost. That um, a Sanskrit H, an H, letter H in ancient Sanskrit, tends to become a European G. So, for example, one simple example from the beleaguered automobile industry is the Sanskrit word Bahan, and of course the German word Baden, <laughs> as in Volkswagen. So, that's H to G. Another example of that is um, Sanskrit Aham, I, and then of course the Greek Ego, taking H to G. Another one, just I'll give a few more now, and then we'll go back to our matinee. So, uh, well, the Sanskrit word Maha, great, you all know this word, and then of course the Latin Magna, as in Magna Carta, and so on and so forth. And the last one I wanted to give, this is the, uh, now that I've built up here, the suspense here, that um, you have this ancient word, from which we find in the Rig Veda, Huta, which means invoked. You invoke a deity, invoke God through prayer, through devotion, and so on. And so if you change the H to G, you get the German word God, and the English word God. So, um, so in the Rig Veda, we find that God is addressed as Puru, which means variously, in different ways. Puru Hutam addressed in different ways. But still, there's this understanding of the Purushottama, that there is a Supreme Person. And um, therefore, Krishna ends this chapter by saying, that Jomam evam asamudho janati purushottamam sasarva vidvajitimam sarvapavina parata that one who thus understands God or Krishna says one who thus understands me as the purushottama that God is really personal I mean he actually isn't just a thing or isn't just a type of corporate radiance that you merge into questions that's a confirmation I guess <laughs> in the absence of those little lizards, they have them. They India, the other parts of India have those lizards? Yeah, yeah they, they confirm things. <laughs> so, um, so Krishna said, one who, one who does knows me as the Purushottama knows everything. In other words, it's not that we understand God in a personal way, we have a personal relationship with God, but when we get more spiritually sophisticated, we move beyond that to something impersonal. I mean, think of our own relationships. To be impersonal is not a step above being personal and sensitive. To actually have the ability to cultivate and sustain uh, profound relationships with other people is not a lower stage of existence. And when you get beyond that, you won't care about people. And so... Uh, Krishna says, one knows everything if one thus understands God as the Purushottama. And then he says, iti guyatamang shastram. This is the most advanced shastra, this understanding. 
So, um, we're all looking for relationship. Of course, now I've, I've noticed that when I was young, you said relationship, it just meant it could mean friendship or your parents or anything. But nowadays, I've noticed a linguistic shift in American English. So in the last 20 years or so, if you just say relationship, I'm looking for a relationship, I'd like to be in a relationship, it means a romantic relationship. It used to just mean a relationship. But anyway, so be it. So everyone is, you know, people are looking for a relationship. And ultimately, the supreme relationship is with God. And, and um, in the Gita, Krishna says that we're all part of God. Mamai Vangsha. There's this, uh, so by nourishing that relationship with God, we're nourishing our relationship with everyone else. There's a beautiful statement in the Bhagavatam that, um, just something like watering the root of a tree. Tarumula. By watering the root of a tree, we're watering the tree. If you see someone up in the branches of the tree with a squirt gun, you know, trying to water all the leaves and twigs, <laughs> and like, so that's tap on the shoulder and say, no, it, it, it's about the root. So the idea is that there's a root to all existence. And anyway, maybe because I'm kind of, I, I like these philosophical ideas. I, and, and so... I suppose everyone finds their own inspiration. What keeps me awake when the Red Bull runs out is... Actually, don't drink caffeine. I was just joking. But what is these great, this, this great understanding, which is simple, which is available to all of us, that I actually want a perfect relationship. I sometimes tell people that I was too romantic to get married. Because... Um, Actually, I was married in my youth, my wild spiritual youth. But I mean, I, I, I feel in a sense I was too romantic because I have these very great ideas. Yeah, a perfect love. And so um, I'm not saying that you know none of you should get married. It's obviously a personal choice. But 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 that idea, these great ideas that that. There is perfect happiness. There is a perfect person who perfectly understands us, a person of infinite beauty, and that um, and that we can discover ourselves. I mean, that keeps me awake. The idea that to, to find out who I really am, I'm really interested to find my real self. To me, that's like you know, that's like the main project, and I can't imagine anything else which. Re- even be remotely compared to that in terms of importance to us and what matters and what's going to satisfy our deepest desires to find oneself. And so, um, I think it's those great ideas which are true, which are real. We have to keep them in the forefront of our minds so that sometimes it's easier when things go wrong because uh, people turned to God, but um, I've noticed sometimes in my own life, sometimes when I, you know, I'm going through a rough patch, as they say, on the other side of the pond, mm-hmm. anyway, that, it, you know, you sort of, if you're inclined that way, when things are a little, get a little difficult, you, you just turn to God. Mm-hmm. But then when things clear up, there's a tendency to say, okay, I guess, you know, things okay again. And so I, I personally, in my own life, I want to, I, I very much want to be in a, come to a point where my dedication, my the intensity, the intensity of my 
focus and my devotion is absolutely not based on external circumstances. That things are really going well or really going poorly. I'm absolutely focused on that. May I just say, say one more thing that um, this beautiful verse, again, in the Bhagavatam, Bhagavad Purana, which I find there's so many amazing verses there, but this sloka says, Akamo sarvakamo va mokshakamo dharadhi tidrena bhakti yogena yajeta bhudusham param. That if you are akama, this means you have no material desire, you know, lucky person. And you're not even in a coma, you just have no material desire. So, so akama, if you have no material desire, or sarvakamo va, if you have every material desire, I mean, clearly opposites. No comma, every comma, every material desire. Or moksha comma, if you are a salvationist, you're just trying to save your eternal neck. In any case, you know, whatever your situation is, uh, the Bhagavatam says, Udharati, Udharati, if you are literally broad-minded, if you are literally broad-minded, then Tivrena Bhakti Yogena, with intense with the intense practice of devotion. Tivrena Bhakti Yogena Yajeda. Literally, one should sacrifice to her worship. Purushankara. I think this is kind of a play on, it's sort of a, not satirical, but if you know the history of Indian philosophy, there was a group called Mimamsa, the Puru Mimamsa group, who, anyway, can't call it all that now, but basically they were, their whole program was absolutely focused on getting to material heaven, performing karmakanda, different types of self-interested rituals and so on, getting to heaven. And so their paradigmatic mantra, which they say is like the, the essence of all mantras, they say the essence of all mantras, or the essence of all Vedic languages, the, the uh, vidhi ling, the, the engine the injunction that you should or must do something. <laughs> and, and the most essential one is uh, Swarga Kano Yajeta. One who desires Swarga, heaven, Yajeta, must offer the ritual sacrifice. And of course, hire a Brahman. <laughs> and so, the Bhagavatam uses that same, and it's the Bhagavatam, so it's about Bhagavan, it's about God. So it uses that same verb, Yajeta, one must worship, or one should worship, and says one should worship not to selfishly get to heaven, but one should worship Purushankaram, that supreme person. And Krishna himself in Gita, chapter 9, talks about those that said, Chai Vidya Mang Somapa Bhutapa Pa Sorgatin Parapayante. Those who follow the ritual Vedas and uh, drink the Soma, Somapa, Bhutapa Pa, and free themselves from their gross sins and offenses, and swargatim, to the destination of heaven, prarpyante, they aspire. And then Krishna says, te punyama sadhya surendra lokam, ashnanti divyan, vidiva kodan, having approached that very pious realm of Indra, surendra loka, Ashnanti Divyan, they enjoy the pleasures of the gods. 
And then faith and dunyam, uh, ha- having exhausted their piety. It, it, it's like, you know, you work real hard. It's like, it's like you know, someone that works real hard, makes a lot of money, goes out, enjoy, you know, goes to the nearest bar, and then mm-hmm. here and there, blows all their money, and then goes back to work. Mm-hmm. Having enjoyed that vast Svorgaloka, that heavenly realm. Kshine punye, their piety exhausted. Because this punya, punya, it, it, it's like, a, it's like a, an account where you, you, know, you get punya points, like piety points. And you get enough points, you, you, know, you can cash it in for a trip up to higher planets. And if you read these ancient literatures like Mahabharata, they kind of collect lokas, they collect worlds. Like, it's almost like kids with baseball trading cards or something. You know, they, like, hey, how many lokas you got? Well, I've got, I got about seven lokas right now. It means world. The planet, and so, so Krishna says, "Tetan Bhutva Swarga Loka Vishalam," having enjoyed this vast realm, Kshine Punye, having exhausted their piety, Martya Loka Vishanti, they again enter the mortal world, Martya, which is our English word "mortal." It's the same word. In other words, literally the world where people die frequently, and you know, very soon after they're born. So. Huh? Yes, Marti Lokam Vishanti. And then Krishna says, Even Krayi Dharma Anuprapana, thus having resorted to, having depended upon this Dharma of the three Vedas, Gatagatam Kama Kama all these selfish people have achieved is a round trip up to heaven. And they come crashing down. You know, gada They went and they returned. Because kama kama. So, the Bhagavad Gita very powerfully rejects this whole program of celestial selfishness. And the idea is that we should devote ourselves to God. And of course, bhakti yoga means that it's a systematic thing that we really... I mean, if you want to do anything very well, whether it's in school or music or athletics or anything, you know, there has to be some discipline. It has to be a bit systematic. You have to practice. So, bhakti yoga, practicing our devotion to God. And uh, these things actually still thrill me. I mean, somehow or other, even though I'm a, uh, I've been doing this for about almost 40 years now. Started when I was uh, minus one. So. I've been doing this for a while, and, and, I mean, periodically, I mean, you know, I, I suppose everyone in their spiritual life, you know, there's like boom, bust cycles, and sometimes, but I think we have to get to the point where we are just super enthusiastic, we're absolutely fixed on what our goal is, we know what we want, I mean, that guy, who was that swimmer that won all those gold medals? Phelps. Phelps, yeah. I mean, obviously, he must have practiced hard or something. And so, if you want to be a spiritual champion, I mean, we really have to go for it. And of course, we have our other duties. Everyone has so many duties. But I think when you get up in the morning, you just got to remind yourself, like, what you really want and what you're really about, what your real goals are, what's at stake. And then just somehow or other, uh, find yourself, find yourself as an eternal soul inside. And don't come under the whammy of this guna-ridden body. You know, this, because the body... Krishna says that whenever you are functioning in the world, your body, 
It is guna guneshu vartante. It's just the gunas, these three material qualities, goodness, passion, and ignorance. It's just the material qualities functioning in the qualities. And so we have to just remember ourselves, remember God, by whatever name we call God, Guru Bhutan, and uh, just realize that there's infinite gain here and, and, and go for it. I saw this great bumper sticker, you know, CIT Chit by Sachidananda. So it's bumper sticker. Have you seen that? The one that said, Chit happens. <laughs> you know, consciousness. So. I love it. I'll just manufacture some of them. Anyway, I guess that's it. I mean, I, I personally feel thrilled to have this incredible, this supreme gift of spiritual life. I feel that I've got a human body, so I'm somewhat lucid. I've got a human body, and I have this perfect knowledge coming down from this great Vedic culture. And uh, there's nothing to prevent me. I can be as happy as I want. You can be as happy as you want. You can be as enlightened as you want. The only thing holding us back is our own indolence, our own lethargy. And you can just sort of throw that off. That's what Krishna told Arjun. Throw off this lethargy. Like, get with the program, Arjun. And, and Arjun did it. Atishto tishto varata. Get into it. Stand up. Ato yogaya yudhyaswa. Fight for yoga. Fight to, to connect yourself to God. So, any, any questions on these points? When um, you were saying that everyone was through the rules of spirituality, so... Yeah, even whole traditions do. <laughs> um, when you were down, yes. what did you use to bring yourself back into a spiritually enthusiastic state of mind? Your own personal experience. God is so kind that if we pray, please keep me on the path, he'll figure out some way to, as I say, whoop us upside the head. I mean, if, I mean God, <laughs> I think if, if we're really, in my own case, I find that, um, you know, I get wake-up calls, some of them are a little shocking, some of them, you know, different life experiences. So, What do, they, what do they say that there's a bumper sticker that says if you're not angry, you're not paying attention? So I would say, you know, if you're not waking up, you're not paying attention. So Krishna says in the Gita, Jomam Pashati Sarvatra, one who sees me everywhere, Jomai Sarvam Pashati, one who sees everything in me. So if we become convinced, if we become convinced that everything that happens in our life is, is a spiritual exercise, every person we meet, every emotion that comes from our own body or mind or whatever. It's like, I, I like to think of God as the uh, supreme personal trainer. And so it's like if you go to a gym and you have a personal trainer, he says, okay, I want five repetitions on this machine, you know, with three pounds in each hand or something like that. Okay, I want eight over here. Let's say, you know, you get, a, a, you get an expert personal trainer, they just put you through a routine. And that's what life is, this whole universe, just like a big gymnasium, it's a big athletic club or something where you work out. And everything that happens to us, so I think we're paying attention like that. And we see everything as sent by God at every moment. And 
I mean, when I've been down, just to be more explicit about what you asked, when, when, when I've, I've never been down that much. Somehow or other, I've been fairly buoyant. And uh, yeah, it's like you have a really good life preserver, you don't sink very much. And, and I think the only real life preserver is to take shelter of God. There, there's a, one of the last statements of Bodhi Gita, which is often misinterpreted even by scholars. It's a famous shloka where Krishna says, Sarva-dharman parikya-jamam-ekam-sharam-raja That giving up all dharmas uh, come to me alone for shelter. And it doesn't mean that you literally give up all your normal duties because after all, Krishna's trying to convince Arjuna not to give up his varna-dharma. He was a kshatriya, you know, his, his vocation as a warrior. He was trying to get Arjuna to do these dharmas. And if we, if we study Mahabharata, we find that before and after Kurukshetra, Arjuna, in fact, did perform all kinds of dharmas, duties to his family, duties to the citizens, duties I mean, to the Brahmins, and so on. So what does Krishna really mean there? I think to understand this verse, I mean, it's very simple if you just look at the Sanskrit. What Krishna is contrasting there is the word sarvam with the word ekam. Because sarva means every, and ekam means only one. And so what Krishna is saying is that you should give up all of all dharmas, all duties, as shelter. In other words, I may, let's say, uh, well, I should have fulfilled my duty to my family. But that is not going to save me. I mean, that's something, that's, and that's something we should do because we should be kind in this world and we should, be, and we should help those who have helped us. At the same time, that's not ultimate shelter. That's not going to save my soul. And so the only real shelter is God. So Krishna is saying, come to me alone for shelter. These other things aren't shelter. And in, in the same chapter, toward the end of the Gita, Krishna says, Tameiva Sharanam Gacha. Go to him alone for shelter, to God. Sarva Bhavena, with all your, literally all your feeling, with all your existence, Sarva Bhavena Bhavana. So, uh, if we really, it's said that if, if even one time in your life, with all of your sincerity, with all of your heart, you say to God that, I give myself to you and I'm yours, please protect me. If one really says it even once, with all their heart, then actually you will be protected. And even though we may sometimes, uh, you know, slip through the rabbit hole or something for a while, uh, we'll pop back up. And so, if we really can say that, then God actually will protect us. And like, for example, you, you have this statement in Gita where Krishna says, Bhumiya, the earth, water, fire, air, all the elements of this world, physical elements, and the cognitive elements, Manobhudhira, uh, Ankara, and so on, that all the mind, intelligence, and, and ego. Krishna says, these are all my energies, these are my prakriti. And then he says, Aparaya, Nitas, Tvanyam, Prakriti, param. And beyond this inferior nature, which is just matter, is the superior nature, which is us, souls. And so lately what I've been doing is when I take my walks, I love to walk, I'm a big walker. And I walk miles and miles every day. So I just I try to find God. In my case I, I, I meditate upon God as Krishna. I try to find Krishna in, for example, in every tree, because Krishna says, I'm in the heart of every living thing. And so in the tree, in the bird, even in humans, I actually try to, I meditate on the presence of Krishna, on the presence of God in every living thing, 
And even the sidewalk, even the sidewalk of the asphalt, I just think, this is God's energy. So actually, I'm completely immersed in the existence of God. Everything around me is God's energy. Every living being is part of God. I myself am a spiritual being just doing business as this male body. And so, yes, I, I think it's the devotion. Because Krishna says, actually, in, in terms of how do you pop back up, Krishna says in the Gita that in, in, in chapter 12, so if you remember this, but I don't remember all the Sanskrit, but I, I know what it, I, mean, I know the meaning, that um, Arjun, Arjun asked Krishna explicitly, explicitly, beginning chapter 12 of the Gita, Arjun says that uh, Jay Satata Bhakta Phantapari Pasti and so on, that there are two kinds of transcendentalists. One of them, one group, is dedicated personally to you, dedicated personally to God. And the other group is dedicated to what, what Arjun calls the avyaktam, the invisible, the action. So like the impersonal, formless, invisible, impersonal, just impersonal form of God. And some are personally devoted. And Arjun says, which of these, teshan ke yoga vittama, which of these are the greatest, literally, knowers of yoga? Because yoga means to connect to God, to link. So which of these are the greatest knowers of yoga? And Krishna answers that both of them are uh, admirable, in the sense both of them are, are doing well. However, Krishna says, uh, those who are personally devoted to God are actually, they are the ones who have understood most perfectly yoga. And and then the other ones, and then there's a runner-up prize, of course, it's a home version of the game. And then those who are devoted impersonally don't really accept a, a personal relationship with God. Krishna says they also make it at the end, but then he says, For those whose minds have become attached to an impersonal notion of God, impersonal, there's no personal relationship, there's no feeling, Krishna says their progress is very troublesome. Klesho, it, it's very troublesome. And there's a lot more suffering in it because, because we are persons. And I can't go into all this now, but in, in giving these courses, University of Florida and the, and the history of religion in India, going over the early Vedic religion and Buddhism and Jainism and, and all the different forms of Hinduism, Sikhism and the yoga schools, it's all this stuff. What really, what really struck me was that no matter how the philosophers or the, or the thinkers, no matter how they tried to deny the soul or deny the personal God in, in various traditions or different, it always came roaring back. And that ultimately, even say in Buddhism, I mean, over 85% of living Buddhists in the world today are in the Mahayana school, where the ultimate goal is to be a compassionate person, a bodhisattva. And despite the belief in earlier Buddhism that Buddha preached the non-existence of the self in the second sermon of Deer Park where he explains many things but never actually says there's no soul, interestingly, but somehow that didn't seem to phase people wanting that soul. So anyway, what we find is in Buddhism that this personalism, personal devotion, personal compassion, love, it just came roaring back and completely, basically, totally overwhelmed the non-self stuff in real Buddhism on the ground, not the you know, highly intellectualized stuff that sometimes you know, has a little niche markets in the West. So, 
And the same thing, for example, the Vedanta tradition. You have Shankara, the, the great Adi Shankara, the great teacher of Nirguna Brahma, the impersonal form of Brahman. And yet, at the end, Shankara writes some of the most beautiful bhakti verses to Krishna. He says, let there be one Shastra, Ekam Shastram, Bhagavad Gita, Devaki Putra Gita, that which was sung by Devaki Putra, the son of Devaki Krishna. Let there be one, let there be one deity, Devaki Putra. So Shankara, the most powerful, most famous teacher, Nirguna Brahma, ends up being a closet Krishna Bhakta. And you read this beautiful, he wrote these very beautiful verses devoting himself to Krishna. Ajagovinda Muramate, he said. So, so, so this personalism, this love, and that person, and that, that's the, the, and so this practice, so, yeah, the more we're devoted, oh, so, so get back to the Gita, that's what I want to say, I knew I was going somewhere, I knew I wasn't just like, <laughs> lost in some unknown sector of the galaxy. So, so in chapter 12, Krishna says that, yes, those who, those who are, fixed on the impersonal aspect of the Absolute, they also, you know, they'll eventually, their horse will eventually come in. But it's very troublesome because we are persons and you try to rip off your, I mean, you, you try to tear away your personality, your personal loving existence. It's just, it's unnatural because you are an eternal person. And, but then Krishna says, for those who just directly devote themselves personally to God, Krishna says, I lift them up. I quickly deliver them from this ocean of material samsara sagara, this ocean of material existence. So it's almost like some little kids are like, don't help me, I'll do it, don't help me, I'll do it, and it falls on his face. And so, when you have God personally lifting you up, uh, so again, I, I think the it's that devotion. I mean, how would you like to be all day with a person that treats you impersonally? It's, you know, it could ruin your whole day, so... And the way I look at it when we're down, is one more thing. Getting more than you bargained for here. But, another way I think about it is that... Okay. When I, okay, personally, in my own life. When I feel a little down... Oh. Okay, well, first, the, okay. I'll try to get myself to the general truth. I guess that's difficult, different kinds of brains. I, I like this real abstract thing. But anyway, when, okay, when, whenever I'm down, I don't even remember the circumstances when I was down because my episodes of, like, discouragement or, I think they're so brief that I just, I hardly remember the specific circumstances. But, but when I'm, when you're a little down, I think, if, I, if I'm not feeling good, this must be how I'm making God feel. In other words, it must be a kind of lousy to be with me right now. So let me treat God the way I'd like to be treated. Let me try to give happiness to God. In other words, let me take the initiative to try to be loving if I want to be loved. Let me give pleasure if, if I want to feel pleasure. Let me water the root of the tree instead of selfishly trying to water the branches. By it, It's like if you want to feel... Sorry for this abstract philosophical point. What you see is what you get. It's like a, another example given is is when you feed the stomach, it goes to the whole body. You can't, you can't just like rub food into your skin. 
you have to put the food in the stomach so if we can somehow... So whenever I'm down, it sounds like a song, a prop song, whenever I'm down, so whenever I'm down, what I do is, it's a trick. You see, if you're not feeling great, the trick of Maya, the trick of illusion is you try to make yourself happy. That's the worst thing you can do. Because that's, that, because that's why we're unhappy, because we're trying to make ourselves happy. We're trying to water the branch instead of the root. We're trying to feed our hand instead of our stomach. So when we're feeling unhappy, try to please God. Forget yourself. Try to please God. And in a second, you'll be happy again. So it's, it's like don't get faked out by Maya when you're unhappy and try to make yourself happy. Because that's the trick. That's the trap. Try to make, try to please God by your devotion and you'll just bounce right back. That specific story. One time I was unhappy and I did this and it worked. <laughs> I wanted to get very personal and intimate there. 